Welcome to the Farm Hop Life Monday Night Men's Forum. I am Matthew Roser of Farm Hop Life, and tonight, making a return appearance, is Scott Thompson of Little Pine Farm in Colorado. How's it going, Scott? Hey, hey Matt. It's good. Um, thanks we for are joining just... me tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you're always welcome. You just had to push back your uh, <clears throat> medicine schedule just a little bit. Yeah, Um and yeah, we're usually, you know, in bed around eight. <laughs> really? Sleep, sleep before What time nine. do you get up? Two? No, like four thirty, five. Okay. Whatever. Okay. I, I like to give my body the opportunity for eight hours, even if I don't necessarily always get it. Sure. Um. So yeah, and then I'm up bright and early with the dogs. We had our uh, we had client dogs get dropped off a little after six a.m. Um, so yeah, I've been up and at it for, for a while. They just left uh, a couple hours ago. Oh, nice. Short, short, uh, short stay. Yeah. Uh, they just usually the come day. like two or three days a week just, uh, while their humans are, I don't know how doing work stuff, I suppose. Nice. So let's, let's talk about, um, some some news. Can you can you start us off? What do you what do you know about monkeypox? <laughs> um, I know that uh, all the people who told us the truth about COVID are saying that it's nothing to worry about. Uh, and you know, as usual, there's shenanigans on all numbers presented on are they media. are they saying it's nothing to worry about? Uh, I mean the. Uh, I was just glancing at that Robert Malone substack, and it looks like the official numbers, first of all, they're saying 10% death rate on the news. The official thing from the WHO is like 3.7, and that's supposedly only cases that are like severe enough to cause national attention and reports to the WHO. So it, it seems to be a, a 1% or less type of thing. I've been hearing that it's a very specific group of people that are contracting it, specifically gay and bisexual men. Yeah. Um, like that's how it's transmitted, missing primarily. Who knows? I guess I got nothing to worry about then. <laughs> yeah, same, I guess. I don't know. I don't think I sleepwalk. Who knows? Yeah, like a gay moon night thing going on. <laughs> a gay werewolf or something. Uh, so so I'm, not, you... I'm not worried about it. I think it's, sure. you know, I, I'm fully expecting a, a full international level panic about something. Um, guess what? The uh, October surprise this year is airborne AIDS. Everybody gets it. All right. <laughs> um, Someday, you know, aerosolized whatever. AIDS. Yeah, who knows? Maybe someday. Hopefully not this year. I got big yeah, I, this year. <laughs> you know, I think anybody talking monkeypox and like Amber Heard and whatnot just doesn't want Oh my want gosh, us, I'm so ready for that junk to be over. Doesn't want us looking in Switzerland uh, this week with the WEF and the WHO meeting with their, uh, their paramilitary police force. Crazy shit, yeah. man. Oops. Tell me. Are we... No, I, uh, family family channel. I'll, I'll get on that. 
I just did an interview yesterday, and the guy dropped the F-bomb a couple times, and so um, I'm not going to edit that. I, I did just get out of explicit, 90. So. I did just get out of 90 minutes of Call of Duty with my brothers. <laughs> nice. Let's. You, you mentioned something kind of interesting before the show on um, on the WEF about their military. Can you can you talk about that for a second? Oh, I just I was watching videos on Twitter. Um, Jack Posobiec, eh, you know, who take him or leave him, whatever. Uh, he posted this video of journalists getting harassed by uh, WEF cops. Like they have their own paramilitary police force. It's not the Swiss national police. It's not like a municipality police. It's their own thing. Um, so weird. And it's especially in light of like the the few rights we've managed to hang on to uh, when it comes to like police encounters and stuff. Um, watching these videos is just horrifying. Um, like somebody's trying to get information on why they're detaining another journalist over there. And they're like, oh, we have a reason. We have to have a reason or we can't stop them. And she's like, what is it? And they're like, we don't have to tell you. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, great. And then uh, the lead like cop lady tells her to delete the video after their conversation, which is just chilling. Um, it's crazy, backed man. up to the cloud. Go get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Today, the like the National Mayors Association met with the WEF people. Like they're injecting themselves on every single level of government um, from local to national to the WHO treaty, uh, which will usher in global powers like nobody's ever seen before we're in for a wild ride yeah chaos is a ladder man chaos is some, a ladder <laughs> do some cool stuff while uh everybody's scrambling yeah yeah absolutely we gotta uh, be ready though yeah was there any other news you wanted to take care of before we jump into the main topic uh i try not to pollute my mind with such things same yeah yeah uh i i i hate that this johnny depp amber heard junk keeps showing up in my like i haven't watched any of it i just it's just sounds like a train wreck and honestly i don't even care what happens um don't even know what like what it's about but i'm tired of it being oh, in my face it's about amber heard is completely psychotic and has been very abusive and lying and destroying careers and mm. uh johnny's johnny's weird but he's cool <laughs> but no it doesn't cool. um there was one other thing actually oh shoot um oh yeah i just read it like half an hour ago they're gonna be dipping into the strategic diesel reserve very soon to try oh, cool. and like to try and stave off or delay what's coming um because once the diesel crunch really hits like that's when things are going to start going up big time yeah um so you know we've been planning a, a couple of stocking up orders and trips to town and stuff uh, we're going to be sure and get those done in the next couple of days here but uh yeah, that's, yeah that's and the strategic though, diesel sure. reserve is like this big compared to the strategic oil reserves like it's not that much mm. i think it's kind of intended to like keep the army moving for a couple of days or some shit keep ah i did it moving. again don't whatever <gasps> uh what 
couldn't they just like you know start accepting oil from Russia again and it'd be fine? Like that ship sailed, man. We, if we want, we if we want that, we're paying. That. If we want that, we're paying in rubles. <laughs> the uh, it's it's doing well so far. Oh my gosh, we got another dude yeah. jumping in. Hey, all right, Josiah. Hey, how's it going, dude? Good. How are you guys? Hey, good. good. Uh, so we just, we, we had a very lengthy discussion about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I don't know if you were aware. <laughs> We've been dissecting the trial. Following it day go. to day. Uh, we, we talked about, um, we were just talking about the diesel reserves. Uh, know anything about that? Or do you want to comment on something else? Like something fun, like monkey pox. Oh, I'll just, I'll just follow along. I know that the diesel thing is uh, is probably the the diciest thing of everything going on right now. So yeah, as uh, entertaining as the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial is, yeah, it's a good distraction. It's a good distraction, right? Is it so, a good distraction? It's not really a good. It's not good, <laughs> but it. I guess, I guess it's good in that it uh, it is a distraction. Sure. It's not good though. No, no, no I think it's, it's probably not sad that great. More than more than a lot. So. Should we should we jump right in then? Main topic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I I knew I wanted to talk about this this week, and so a couple of days ago, I had sent out a tweet. It got like a little bit a little bit of traction. Uh, I what what made me think about it is when I ask people to like interview, they're like, "I'm not really a homesteader." Like, I'm like I. I'm just not a homesteader. I'm like, do you have a garden? Do you have chickens? Do you can? Do you do any of like anything? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, but let's talk about that. Like, whatever the label. Like, I don't care. Let's like, let's not try to split hairs here. Like, let's talk about that. So the tweet that I sent out is, I don't consider myself a homesteader. Most people. There's a weird gatekeeping around homesteading. A homestead is about mindset and intention. I'm discussing discussing this topic Monday night and like some more input. What do you think? And um, uh, Scott, you uh, you chipped in. Uh, great topic. People get so hung up on small primate mouth noises. Uh, and then we were trying to coordinate. And Long Story Farms, Mr. Jeffrey, uh, who I need to get on here eventually he said big tent homesteading and i'm like what is that i'm like what does that mean like you can't be in a club and he said i call what we're doing a farm stand because it's a homestead at its core but we aspire to be a farm farmstead yeah he calls what he's doing a farmstead Farmstead. uh it's a homestead at its core but it's but we aspire to be a farm I think the tent should be big enough for people like me, even once I achieve my aspirations. And I said, this is why I want to talk to everyone about it. Somebody growing food in their apartment to 120 plus acre ranches. If someone wants to scale up, all of a sudden they're out. That's dumb. So I think we need to, like the big tent, like what what Mr. Long Story Farms said. I like that. I think it's, you know, p- 
people get so hung up on on a word and often to the point of overlooking what somebody is actually doing um and you know to me it's if you're trying to really if you just are mindful of some level of sustainability and you're producing some level of your own food or livelihood on your property like I, I don't have any problem calling that a homestead, regardless of how big it is. Even if you're just like crafting and growing some herbs in the window, you know, and making a thousand bucks on Etsy or something. That's awesome. Like you're, yeah. you're a, a home business, a, you know, home industry, cottage industry, homestead, whatever you want to call it. I think for us, I, my big thing with it is mostly that it used to be normal. And I don't know that people really ever, maybe they call themselves that, um, but it was just kind of life. I think, I, I don't know that the average person, 100, 152, I mean, yes, they probably call themselves farmers. I think that was probably the most, the most normal thing. And I think that farming, whether it be that, you know, where I live, if I call myself a farmer, the dude down the road with with 2600 acres would would laugh his butt off at me um you know so i think that that term's kind of taken away um and i think homestead for me homestead more means kind of living like what i do um not really in it for the money i think it's kind of my line for for homestead um which means i would i would probably fall into that i don't i don't like it generally speaking just because um i don't i don't really like labeling like i just it's just me doing what I wanted to do. I don't, I don't necessarily have some huge overarching plan for, you know, my homestead. Um, sure. I just, I just like, I just like doing these things. So I don't, I never, I never put a label on it. It's just, it's what, it's what Josiah wanted to do. Like I, you know, um, but I do like some of those other things that you were talking about as far as like cottage industry, any of those things, like for, for me and for, for my wife, a lot of what we've talked about doing is trying to get a little bit more of our income stream coming from the property. Um, you know, what, regardless of what that looks like. So a lot more like a home, a home industry. I, I don't even necessarily home business these days. Oftentimes is just selling some random thing or a digital or, you know, it's not, it's not really a, something tangible. Um, mm -hmm. So like, so for us, I mean, that's something we've been, we've been looking at, you know, whether it be the sawmill, whether it be, you know, dairy products or, you know, whatever that looks like. But again, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I never, I never did like that, that term. And then, and then it hit pop culture. And I just, I don't like being labeled by pop culture. I guess, I guess I'm a little bit of a hipster in that regard. I don't know. <laughs> now you we'll touched come on up something. Um, you touched on something there. Uh, you know, just like uh, making a little more money at home, like not working for other people, but, doing something productive on your own land. And, um, you know, the kind of the core of our mission here is just lifestyle. Like I, I, my primary goal is not profits. My primary goal is to cover all of our expenses with operations on this property um, and enable myself to, you know, follow some passions um, once I get the bills taken care of. Uh, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here for my work. I want to stay here for my play. Um, I want to stay here for socializing and, you know, make a, a space that's conducive that, that people want to come to and enjoy with me. Um, 
So for me, it's all about lifestyle. Like I'm pursuing a very specific lifestyle and I think I've identified some ways to get to that point. Um, and yeah, the label thing is, is just so exhausting these days. I think uh, you, you actually, I, I've, I've talked about it a little bit on Twitter, but for me, like the idea of, uh, of subsistence farming, right? Like it's, it's this idea of a, of a hard scrabble existence where you're, you're fighting for every meal. And, I, I think if anything, I don't know that that word, I, it's probably closer. My, my idea for, for where I want to go is probably closer to that than, than anything else. Just that it's, it's subsistence home or whatever, whatever, but in a way that it's not that I'm feeding myself solely off what I, what I produce. It's Mm -hmm. that what I produce is capable of taking care of all of those expenditures that I have to make. So it's not, I, I can't, like, there are things that I lack in Northwest Missouri that, that there's no getting around. And so trading for those, paying the mortgage, all those different little things, that's not really subsistence farming. That's for, for sure not what people think of it is. But, but for me, that's more what I, would, what I would strive for is what are the things that I can produce on, the, on my piece of property and how can that take care of all my other needs? And Maybe homesteading is the best word for that. I don't. I don't like. Again, I, I just don't like people labeling me. But I, I think ultimately that's that's where I want to be is probably closer to a subsistence farmer. Um, you know, and and yeah, there's. I'm I'm probably not. Um, I mean, I don't work all day on on the farm, and so there'd be some differences in that as far as you know building a building other income. But I think that's where I want to go with all of that is make the property work for me. So. And a way it could work for you is even if you don't make money on it, it can definitely save you money easy just from the produce you rake in. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that uh, photo floating around yesterday or today of like someone buying two big ass tomatoes and it was like $8 and uh, it's like two tomatoes, $8. And I was like, doesn't seem so stupid now, does it? <laughs> like growing, growing right. tomatoes. Yeah. You didn't have to spend that eight bucks. Just just some labor. And like, that's just one example. Even growing a small portion of your own food has always like been like printing money. And that is just going to become more true every single day. Yeah. I I know I I talked about it, I think, I think on here before, but one of the things that happened when, when Corona hit was, there was huge demand for um, our eggs. And previously we had sold just here and there, but I mean, we were selling out all the time. I mean, to the point where almost to the point where I was telling the kids, we're not having eggs this morning. Cause I've already sold these eggs kind of a thing. And so I think that there is, you know, as, as prices change and, you know, as, as things continue to escalate, having that capability of feeding yourself and, and maybe even turning it into something where you're making money or where you're trading, you know, where you're bartering, I think that is going to be a big deal. Um, you know, we free range our birds now. Um, that wasn't something we were doing back when Corona first hit, but the cost has gone down dramatically to the point where they're, they're probably, I mean, they're, if, if we were selling every egg or, you know, every egg that we're not, you know, for personal consumption, we'd make money. And obviously that's worth something now, even if it's just bartering for something else, somebody else's, um, Mm -hmm. you know, product. So, and that, you know, inflation can't get away from that, that, you know, they can't get rid of that, the barter. Right. And they're going to try. People, people are starting to look 
more and more outside the grocery store. Like, cause I can't, well, people that have half a brain are like, you know, I can't rely on the grocery store anymore. I'm going to have to figure out what's, what's my plan B and start making those, like people are starting to make those connections now, which I guess is better than three months from now or six months from now. So like, they're like, Oh, <laughs> I, uh, I was talking to some, uh, some friends last week uh, and they're in Wisconsin. They don't, they have like a small operation, uh, ducks, uh, chickens and um, rabbits. And they get people stopping by their farm all the time. Can I buy a cow from you guys? We don't, we, we don't have a cow. How about uh bacon or pig or anything? And I, they're like, no, mm-hmm. we don't, we don't have any of that. I'm like, you guys are missing a huge opportunity. Start being brokers for food. Like start like, just like, yeah, I'll hook you up with a cow. I'll get it to you next week or whatever. And just like go like haul ass trying to find uh, a cow in your community, a farmer that you know, and make it 10% on it. I don't know. That's a great idea. When you speak, I mean, no, you uh, that is actually a, probably a great business idea. I feel like with the uh, the disconnect between whether whether you want to, you know, farmers or just food in general, the number of people um, that we hear, you know, that my wife hears about or whatever, t- talking about how we don't know anyone else that has goats. We don't know anyone else that has chickens. We don't, you know, do you know somebody that, like, do you know somebody that has cows that would sell a cow, especially back when that whole slaughter you know, the backlog at the meat processing. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, I mean, you probably could as a, as a business idea, be kind of a, a food broker um, fairly well. And it'd be a, it'd be a pretty small scale thing. Um, but yeah, I feel like with that disconnect, it, it, it is hard. And if you are, I mean, presumably they have some drive by business. I'm not going to get any drive by business where I am, but presumably your friends are getting drive by business and it is a good opportunity, but is it, it's a great marketing opportunity for them. Yeah, I think, uh, do you guys know who Niti Bali is? Um, she is like food pharmacies with an F, mm. pharmacy with an F. Uh, that's basically what she does. She connects people with, uh, like, she's like the intermediary between the consumer and the farmer. And, like, she just has, like, a food church, I think is what she calls it. And she just has, like, freezers and freezers and freezers full of meat. And, like, you have to be a member of the church to um, get this uh to have access and the reason she issued it as like a church is for certain um protections from the like legally yeah. legal protections right. so i was like mm, that's pretty smart so i i have i texted my mom just before the show uh just to just to kind of as, as like a talking point right let me let me throw up a quick banner here da, 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 da. there we go so I said, hey, really quick, why do you and dad have a garden? <laughs> I want to share it as a brief talking point on the show tonight. And I haven't pre-read any of this uh, at all. So this, uh, hopefully this goes somewhere. But my mom says, I have a garden because fresh from the garden vegetables taste so much better, especially tomatoes and cucumbers. There is no comparison. And it's nice to just go out to the garden and pick fresh veggies and eat them right there. I said, do you consider yourself a homesteader? Why or why not? He said, no, because I don't can, freeze, or pickle food. I don't sell clothing or raise animals for food. I grew, up, I grew up doing that, and my lifestyle now is not like that. I said, would you say that lifestyle wasn't for you? Why? And she said, not necessarily. I have fond memories, but it was 
but was a lot of work and it doesn't happen overnight. It took my parents' time and my dad also working a full-time job to make ends meet. And so um, I guess what, it kind of goes back to what we started off with, like, you know, like intention, mindset. Um, I guess I should have thrown lifestyle in there. Um, my mom just likes to garden. She doesn't want to do everything, everything else. So, you know, it's like gardening falls under the, you know, the bad label of, <laughs> of homesteading. Right. And she brought up a, a lot of other good points too, like raising animals and sewing clothes and things like that. Like the, those are, would fall under the umbrella of like homesteading, pickling food, canning, freezing, those things. Um, so it's interesting that she doesn't consider herself a homesteader, but does a piece of homesteading, like something that a lot of homesteaders do do is, which is easy is uh, have a garden. No, I, but, I think it's funny that you, that you say that. Cause I, it brings up a good point And that is what, um, you know, what point, at what point do you do enough of those things that you would, that you would consider, you know, based on the, the definition that, that gets right. left on, you know, how much, how much of your life has to revolve around your, your piece of property, your homestead for it to be considered a homestead. And, you know, I don't know that necessarily that a garden is, I mean, garden, my parents had a garden growing up. I knew lots of people had a garden growing up and they were, you know, absolutely not. I mean, heck the, one of the farmers that has, I mean, he's got a conventional cattle operation and, and, and he does row crop and his family's got a garden. He would he would laugh at being called a homesteader as he sure. you know sp- sprays everything down with with all sorts of stuff and and crops thousands of acres, you know. So I I don't I mean it, it is an interesting thing to know like where you know if you solely garden but you also maybe can, you know does does that make you a homesteader at that point? Maybe uh, I, one of my notes actually is like. Uh, I wrote, they're not going to take your card away. So like, if you like, let's say you have like a homesteader punch card, right. And you have to like, you have to have all the, all 10 things punched kind of like a Pokemon master badge or whatever to be hit, be considered a master. Uh, you don't have to have all these things you can do. Let's say even like two things and be considered a homesteader. If you want to be like, you don't have to hit all 10, like, if you, if you uh, have a garden and can your food, I'd say that's a homesteader. I'd, I'd say the, the entry level is super easy. Yeah, I think just uh, whatever the percentage is, like some sort of significant percentage of your own material needs, like covering your own food or fuel or fiber or whatever. Um, you know, I think if, if across the board we could average out like 10%, people growing 10% of their food on average, some people growing 50, some people growing 80, some people growing two. Um, I, I think that would be a real like tide change in food oh, systems. Absolutely. Um, be a mindset change. Yeah. And mindset. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Homesteading's a, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a state of being, it's a, it's a relational thing. It's how you relate to where you live i think you imagine people in this country like knowing that like they don't have to like they already 
thought they didn't have to worry where their food comes from. And then all of a sudden for some, for a lot of people, the first time in their life, they, they actually have to worry about where they're like, if they're going to be able to fill their refrigerator next week, you know? Um, And that's scary to them. And so because they're not prepared, uh, it's, it wasn't important to them. They just kind of like, let, like, I'll just let somebody else take care of it. It's a big store. They've got to fill it with stuff. Um, and so like, there'll always be food there. Like not so much. So I kind of forgot where I was going with that, but, um, Oh, I remember the mindset of someone like, or of everybody, if they had the 10%, like they had 10% of their food taken care of or whatever on their own. Um, wow. I'm, I mean, you could do a lot better, but you also could do a lot worse too. And just to be a, to be a very freeing. And I think you'd also see a lot of other shifts as well. Following, following that, like I can grow my own food. What do I need you for? Yeah, you know, it's just 10 or so percent. I mean, I know the official inflation is like below 10% still, but if we counted it the way we used to count it, it'd be more like 20. Um, So there's a great number, you know, encourage people to grow 20% of their own food. Um, One calorie in five. And you would not only like change their financial picture, but probably change their life. Oh, yeah. Well, even if you didn't, I mean, even if you didn't do calorie, even if you just did um, your cash value. Yeah. You know, say you had $100 of, you know, just I'm terrible at math, $100 a month in food bill and you could knock 20 bucks off of that with what you're Mm -hmm. what you're growing. Right. Then then you could, you know, because I mean, that that would be the hard part for a lot of things, I guess, for, you know, for us, you know, there's there's a bunch of things that we can't or, or it's just not it's it's not time efficient yet. You know, wheat would be one of them. Um, yeah. We don't really grow our wheat. We eat a lot of bread. My wife makes it all. You know, we make it from scratch, but, you know, we can't fill that. But, you know, if tomatoes are $8 for two of them, you know, then I for sure can cut, you know, a whole heck of a lot of money off tomato costs. You know, growing, you know, tomatoes are easy. So, yeah, I mean, I think that would be the big challenge. And it, I mean, it, it's the, the proof is in, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot of money. And we're not particular, too particular about about the food that that we buy necessarily. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't cost a whole lot for us to feed our family of of seven, in large part because we source a lot of this stuff ourselves. And some of the big some of the big money stuff, we don't really buy meat. Mm-hmm. We don't really, and we don't buy dairy. Um, we don't buy eggs. So a lot of those big, big expenditures, we do cover ourselves. And that means we don't, you know, going back to what I was talking about, we don't necessarily have to go out and buy or in, and plant a field of wheat so that we have enough, you know, for bread for the year. We have the savings from doing these other things so we can, we can swing back and say, okay, we can, we can pay the 20 bucks for a big old bag of wheat, you know? So I think that, but I mean, I think you're right about, you know, that percentage and it's probably something like that for us. It's probably, it, it probably comes up to 25, 30% of our actual costs that were defrained by, you know, hunting, fishing and raising goats and chickens, you know? Awesome. So it's not, not cash, but cash, I think cash is a good way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a better way of looking at it. I think the cost. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 
especially if you're i heard buy your calories and grow your nutrients before like mm, i like that so yeah. like like uh calories you can purchase pretty cheap but like it's going to be crap in nutrients so you and you can do even if you spend a ton of money at the grocery store trying to get nutritious food it's gonna be lacking nutrient nutrients and so you'd be better off just growing growing your own nutrient-dense food well and i mean I, I get for all intents and purposes that's basically what we we've done um i never i never thought of it that way but you know the the meat and the the dairy and the eggs um you know, that's the topping for the the stuff that I buy yeah. from the store, you know, the rice and the wheat. So I never thought of it. Other, I, I was just sitting here going, you know, what can I save money on? You know, gallons of milk are yeah. expensive. Um, but no, that's a good way. A good way of thinking about it. I'm really excited. We're just experimenting with some staples up here this year, um, which I've never really gotten into. I've grown a lot of animals. I've grown a lot of vegetables. But uh staples are uh, a whole nother thing we're doing potatoes and sorghum and millet and barley um excited to see how that goes that is that is something we tried we're, we're trying a little bit we're trying a bunch of corn um but not sweet corn we're gonna we're gonna grind it mm -hmm. um we didn't do potatoes i didn't get them in the ground but that was something that hit was you know we've we've made this garden and we we've planted all sorts of different stuff, but at the end of the day, it wasn't necessarily re replacing anything that we were buying. It was supplementing or it right. was fun. So this year, you know, much like, much like you with your stuff, I'm, although you, you planted a lot more of it than, than we did. Our goal, my goal this year was maybe we can replace a couple more of those things, which is why we went kind of gung-ho on corn. Um, and that was partially just to feed the chickens too, but, but it's a good idea, you know, how, you know, the grains, I think, are grains and potatoes. It's a big one. Yeah, especially yeah. with India oh, just geez. announcing last week that they won't be exporting any wheat this year um, and likely next. Uh, you know, the, the global commodity grain markets are are going to be very challenging. Um, rice had a really good season last season. So, um, but, you know. Who knows with the diesel thing and everything else um i like to think i can always just get on azure standard and you know have a bunch of flour and barley and sorghum delivered to my house but uh who knows i can't if they're if their shipping keeps going up to keep pace with gas prices then um that's not happening I think, I mean, honestly, the funny thing for me is the number of people that um, as soon as the last food insecurity issue two years ago happened, um, people stuck their head right back in the sand. And, yeah. You know, and then the the formula there. thing pops up and and everybody freaks out again. But that, that doesn't, that hasn't extended beyond the formula, you know, for, I know a lot of people, they're, they're panicking about the formula, but they haven't said, you know, it had happened here what else, you know, where else could this happen? I had a, there's yeah. been a few people that have been a little more aware of meat since the processor thing. Mm -hmm. But other than that, nobody, I mean, the, the normies, I guess we'll call them, you know, it, it's never hit. It's, it's never hit again. <laughs> I'll label people. I'll do, I'll do it myself. I don't like people labeling me, but I'll label 
but you know, I mean, I have friends that that they're you know they're I think they're aware of it. I just again, I I don't know what it, I don't know what it would take other than other than Corona or the baby formula shortage for people to say maybe I need to pay attention to that. And I mean, that's concerning in and of itself. So yeah, how many events will it take for like a lot of people to be like? Hey, so things seem a little unstable. I should probably save some food, grow some of my own food, maybe exchange something, some sort of commodity with my neighbor who I know grows food because I'm not doing it like myself yet or I'm only doing herbs and they've got like a half acre garden or something like that. Like uh, a <laughs> we, got a, we got a comment from... It, I don't know if you guys can see this. We got a comment yeah. from from Long Story Farm. Hey guys, I forgot to join again. <laughs> That's all right. You can jump in now. We're like it's still available, but that that's up to him. Uh so so my my wife was talking with uh, a friend of hers and she's again, I don't want to label, <laughs> but she's She's quite left, let's say. And she, in the, she, my wife talked to her for the first time in like six months, just because like she got busy, they got bit, whatever. And, and she's like, my wife was telling me about their conversation. She's like, you're never going to believe what she said. And I'm like, what? She goes, I think, I think the government's too involved in our lives. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, really? Nice. Tell me more. And she's like, yeah, you know, she's just like, there's a lot of stuff. She just said that there's a lot of stuff going on that, um, you know, it's just, it's too invasive. And I think for her, what pushed her over the edge was the Roe v. Wade thing, which mm. if that's what pissed you off, fine. Good for you. Like, let's get pissed off together. Whatever it takes. Um, yeah, whatever it takes. And so, like, how many events like that need to happen before more people everywhere both sides don't care like will kind of take uh like take up their own um responsibility to be able to like feed themselves and the family so and especially especially considering that it's it's really just kind of a a, a return to um normal you know food food insecurity prior to the last you know 70 80 years um amongst first world you know that that wasn't i mean people were still concerned about those things you know great depression um you know wasn't that long before that in europe obviously they've known starvation even even more recently than the 20s um so you you'd think that it would be a little more people people would at least be able to see that that just you know just because it's been 80 years you know or i guess closer to 100 years for americans um doesn't doesn't mean that that's not going to come back because you know all of history um, tells us you know food food shortage is is the main driver for most of the things that happen most events that happen in history and so it is it is kind of fascinating that people you know that these warning signs are popping up and people aren't saying you know like you said you know i need I either need to make contacts with people or you know i need to start doing some of my own stuff or both you know quite frankly um you know, it would behoove people, and and I I don't know, I don't know what point you know, 
a formula and a complete lack. I mean, there was complete lack of food in a lot of places with Corona. Um, but this, this formula thing, maybe, maybe when people start waking up, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think it's just a sad truth of the human condition that most people are unwilling to make changes until they are made extremely uncomfortable. Um, I think it's going to take eight or $10 gas and regular bare shelves for the bulk of the, the population to accept that. There are serious, serious problems with the way that we've been doing things, and the butcher's bill is coming due. I, I it's interesting you say because I mean you hear stories about people that grew up in the the depression that you know they would stash the money away or whatever. So their normal, you know, their normal had had always been that. And we, you know, well, not we. I wasn't old enough to do this, but you know, you'd hear stories people, you know, their kids poo pooing them for hiding money or for having you know stacks of can you know canned goods. I my grandparents when they when they died they had just a ridiculous pantry um far more than two elderly people could ever eat and it was leftover it was leftover from that that mentality and so i don't i don't know you know if that i don't know how many people had to get burned i don't know how you know how how many generations it took for that to be not normal and for you know i don't know how long it would take us to to come to this new normal that you know the rest of the world experiences food insecurity, you know, for whatever, you know, a buzzword, you know, I don't know what it would take, you know, other than like you said, people actually legitimately going without stuff for a long period of time to wake them up to, you know, the fact that we have a lack. Get your work done. What's up? <laughs> How's it going? Have you been following along much? Um, just, I just, uh, I just, kind of took a break i was doing some stuff and then i, I sat down and i go oh i forgot again <laughs> i get kind of busy in the evenings and then i and then i, I look later and i'm like oh so no i haven't really followed along i was just listening to a little bit of the, the you know what what would make you know people wake up and um you know i don't know i mean you can see behind me like i'm awake anyway, <laughs> um, i'm woke but yeah not not that but uh yeah, I just um, – one thing I was going to say is, you know, like I grew up in a family that was really um, hardcore kind of religious prepper types, you know, like – so it was kind of my, my background. But the thing that happened to me um, when I was a kid, I was like 12, um, my dad went back to school and we – Oh, his internet's taking a crap. Breaking <laughs> up. Ah. Yeah, it's because I live in the middle of nowhere, no broadband. But anyway. Um, well, and I started like nothing so miserable for me it. today, so I get the, the yeah. horrible internet. I'm going to stop my camera. Maybe that'll help me a little bit. All right. But, All right, that sounds good. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know if you missed what I said, but we lived off of a garden and what we had in, in storage food for about three and a half years. So that like makes a big impression on you. You 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 take this stuff seriously. You think about it. So as an adult, I felt like that was like my job to make sure I had that kind of deep larder, you know, as a backup. So yeah, I'm Wait, really did you say feeling a deep that larder? pressure right now. Yeah, larder. What's a deep larder? Larder is like for um, food storage. Yeah. Your stash. Yeah. Your stash. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Follow along. 
Um, so I got a, I got a question for everybody here. Uh, if somebody doesn't have a garden, but they exchange whatever goods and or services in order to get food items to consume, uh, can or store in some way, does that make them a homesteader, even though they don't grow any of their own food? I think if you're not acquiring, uh, you know, growing or hunting like anything, I don't know, that might be uh, maybe we found a uh, qualifying factor um, that you have to be a producer, a producer. Yeah, I, I agree. Mean, I, I think anything you else, could... you're, you're just a prepper, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think some level of, of food production or acquisition is is probably requisite what if they take the raw product and produce it into a better product that they you know can store for themselves or uh then resell it uh or barter it something else that so just makes you the middleman doing <laughs> that's the middleman so you still it's have not to a, be it's a, not a bad gig i i think but i i think it's i think it is kind of just get, i think you gotta you, get you your hands found dirty. the one thing yeah You've okay. got to be, you've okay. got to be producing it. So there's the one thing yeah. on the homesteader punch card that you, you got to produce. You got to produce something. You got to start with uh, a raw product and make it a consumable product. Like you can't eat a baby chick. Uh, yeah. You can't eat lettuce seeds. So you got to bring that to a consumable. I've seen a guy eat a baby chick. <laughs> Gross. What? <laughs> What's that Dude, thing? I've, the, I've been the on the internet for, uh, for like 25 years, man. <laughs> there's those there's those partially uh partially developed eggs. Yeah. Philippines or something. Some oh, I think China Asia. too. Doesn't yeah. count. They're weird. That's different cuisine for sure. Yeah, that's I wouldn't I, I wouldn't want to do it, but I've I've seen people eat them and I mean it's basically hmm. the same thing, but Far afield from the topic, I I do think sure. you you have found you have found the the thing. I I, I would agree. If, right. if anything else, you're just you're just finishing someone else's work. I think, and so I think you do have to you do have to be the the beginning stages of production. I think to to qualify, and I think it would probably have to take place on your home per the per the homestead. You know, to okay. some degree at least, right? All right. I'll, I really but wanted to find that line tonight. So I, I wanted to be sure to bring that up. I think there's a, the one qualifier I would say is that, you know, there's a lot of people who aspire to be homesteaders and you have to make room for them. I think there's people that are looking for land that are looking to become producers. Um, you have to make room for them in the, in the movement, if you will. But I think you have to be a producer. I agree with that. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, as, as I was aspiring for, um, well, I've probably aspired for, for more years than I have been doing this. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't denigrate that if the effort was there, you know, to the point where I was, I was doing things that my parents, um, you know, trying to learn a little bit before I got on my own place. So yeah, I, I wouldn't denigrate that if you're, if you're trying or you're, you know, doing your research and learning, you know, then yeah, you'd, yep. you'd qualify. I'd give you, I'd give you the benefit of the doubt. And it could be, I mean, especially these days with property prices and all that, it can be really hard to, to get going, you know, to go from, you know, that apartment and, to a piece of property. 
And I think doing stuff with your parents um, or with your family, that that's, that's, a, that's pretty close because you're, you know, that intergenerational um, activity and all that, that's, that's important. That's, that's probably yeah. really grounded and, and planted, you know, it's, it's grounded. And uh, I, I think that's another good call out to, you know, I think there's that, I think it was Joel, it was Joel Salatin book, I think, but he was talking about, you know, old people having the stuff and young people having the fire to go do it. And I think that was kind of, um, mm. you know, in a nutshell, what, what ended up happening and it, it's a good way to get into it. And he, I mean, he talks about it. It's not an original thought by me, but he talks about that a lot, you know, finding those, you know, whether it be your parents or not, but you can get into it for sure. Yeah, he talks a lot about that in fields of farmers. That's the, one of the books that really hits that pretty hard. Mm-hmm. That the average yeah. age of the U S farmers, like 65 or something like that. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I think now more than ever, you know, that the, the older generation having the stuff, but not the energy. Um, I, I that's never been more true than now. Like, property is just so out of reach for most people right now um the market is just so crazy that you know i i I think a crucial factor is is finding the people that do have land and don't necessarily have the the energy left to work it um and and building you know whether it's equity sharing situations or or something beyond like indentured servitude uh on your aristocrats land um yeah you know finding ways to to make it really work for everybody involved i mean there's some pretty cool things that people have arranged with like land leases whether it be for hunting or for hay or for pasture and uh, there's ways to do it and i've seen some of the agreements that are struck like for market farmers that seem a little bit towards that end of the spectrum where it's like a indenture servitude more than an actual you know arrangement but i think there's some good opportunities there a lot of families want to maintain that you know that uh family equity or whatever uh patrimony whatever you want to call it and then uh they don't want to sell yet or the kids don't want to sell or whatever and maybe you can find that arrangement there you know yep we uh we got a couple notes here. I don't know. I can only take a guess. I think it was Dylan who left notes in the uh, in the shared uh, vial here. Um, he writes how to be how to homestead without being Laura Ingalls, and he's got a couple of bullet points here. <laughs> uh, garden on other people's land. Uh, young people, old people seem to be adverse. Um, preserve food, grow ceilings purchase animals and put on someone's land. So kind of like what we're talking about and then invest in other people's farms. That's an interesting point. And what we're, when we do take off here, I'm trying to go through a program, uh, Land Link Montana, which links land owners and land seekers, I think is what they call them. So like connect the two like, Hey, I've got land. You want to, you want to farm, you want to grow stuff. You want to raise animals, garden, whatever, like let's, let's connect. Uh, we can, we can work together. And so I'm trying to make that happen. So I'm like this, like this property will still be used even though I'm not here. Like that mm-hmm. would like, it'd be very hypocritical of me if I was just like, nah, don't touch it. Let's just, leave it as it has been for the last mm, since it was under a lake 
10,000, 30,000 years ago, whatever. Uh, I, I want someone to use this place and like gain some skills, be profitable from it even. Uh, that would be amazing. I, I really like that last point, especially invest in other people's farms. You know, there's so many people who are are maxing out their own personal energy on whatever operations they, they are already working on. Um, but there's so many places that have so much space. You know, if somebody's got a couple hundred acres, they're doing pasture based livestock on, you know, odds are they got a couple acres that would make a great market garden or they got a quarter acre where you could put a cool worm farm or, you know, to plug another operation into an existing structure uh, has enormous potential to be beneficial to all parties. Um, yeah. You know, you spread unused castings on the pastures or, you know, you have leftover produce to throw to the pigs and the chickens or whatever. There's so many options. I think the biggest limit there is uh, counties, especially like where I am. I'm on the rural fringe of a suburban county. So, like, ideally, I would love to bring on another person who has like a whole operation in mind and can plug it into one corner of the property and we can work together to support each other um to to make something greater than the sum of the parts uh there's a farm uh that that we uh well farmer couple that we um we're, we're well we're somewhat close you know we they, they're kind of like mentors to us a lot younger than us but but a lot more farming experience than us so but they have a, a partner on their property that's doing mushrooms and they are mm. able to combine that with their CSA, and that makes a that's a cool offering to have. You know, I would love it if uh, there was someone around me that said, "Hey, you got all this deciduous hardwood forest. Can I go drop some shiitake logs back there, and I'll come water them every other day, or whatever it is, and you know, whatever." That'd be awesome. You know, I'd love that. I did have a yeah. guy come out here and help us, um, permaculture designer, who's a, kind of an urban homesteader. Uh, really like at the forefront of getting chickens um to be you know legal in the city limits uh in columbia south carolina nice. and uh he he came out and helped us with our design and picked the species that we planted in our forest garden and all that kind of stuff but then he also just come out and helped and we kind of you know just try to just trade you know um if he needs cash we we pay cash and if he needs chickens or pork we pay chickens and pork and you know, I feel such a debt to him just because he's been a great help. And uh, I've told him multiple times, you know, this, you know, our, our house is your house kind of thing. You know, um, I think those relationships are really critical. Let people know where where we can find this guy uh, if, if people are watching in your area. Well, the guy's name is Matt Kipp, um, and uh, he's he's pretty active, I think, on Facebook and stuff. I, I think his website. Uh, I think he took it down recently, but Matt Kipp, um, Sustainable South. Uh, if you, you can probably find him at Sustainable South or something like that. And um, Matt Kipp is his name. All right. Really, really awesome. brilliant guy. Yeah, really brilliant guy. I Maybe I could try to get him on the show. Yeah, he'd be fantastic. Yeah. That'd be sweet. So what are some ways uh, that we can be investing in other people's farms? Well, selfishly, I'll say go buy a local farmer's product at the farmer's market would be a great way to start. Other than the obvious. 
<laughs> I mean, when uh, when we we had we had pigs when we first got pigs, and my uh, my father in law runs a um, a vending machine um, route. And they do a lot of um, the work kitchens, um, and so we had a ton of excess food. And once a week, he used to bring that back. Um, it was all expired, and we would, you know, go through, sort through probably seventy pounds of expired food and um, dump it to the pigs. And so it even little things like that that you may not, you know, somebody may not keep, you know, gather waste. Somebody, I thought I saw somebody do. Oh, I think it was on Twitter. Somebody was, you know, if you give us a bucket of your scraps, we'll give you a, a carton of eggs or something like that. Those are really simple before, ways, yeah. th- you know, simple ways to to barter that, you know. And again, you know, not not the obvious of of buying. Although I I wouldn't be opposed to somebody handing me some cash for some milk, but you know, uh, there are other ways of doing it too. Um, you know, even to the point of um, there are especially um, around Kansas City. There are a lot of pieces of land um, that that aren't used, and you know if, if somebody's saying, "Hey, you know, you r- can run your goats here," or because um, there are a lot of places that code code wise, it's it's you know it's not a big deal, um, but little stuff like that, you know, the scraps for eggs or you know these little things that I, anybody can do, you know, especially if the farm, you know, me, I don't necessarily really care what my chickens eat or what my pigs eat. I'm not organic or anything, you know, I'm not super crunchy in that regard. So, you know, you want to throw me a bucket of scraps, I'll give you a dozen eggs for that. You know, especially with, with grain prices, the way they are, you got some, some extra stuff to feed the pigs. You're saving me a bunch of money. I'll give you i I'll give you a couple packs of bacon or something, you know? So there's, there's lots of ways, little ways like that, that, that wouldn't be, especially for a smaller homestead. If you're, if you're more like, uh, like long story, we actually, I mean, selling legitimate things of meat then that's a it's a different different story i imagine he's a little more picky about what he feeds his pigs but part, yeah part of our marketing is yeah. that we only give them non-gmo feed so some of the scraps would be off limits yeah. yeah yeah but i mean you could find somebody doing more yep. of the backyard thing for sure yep but and, and i would be i'd be really open to some of those types of things it would just have there would be i would be a little bit more picky then maybe you know a backyard person so but it is it is cool to get in it, there there are ways to get involved that's something really anybody can do whether you're in an apartment or not you know you get involved in your you know without having to throw down some cash so yeah i'm actually going to launch a launch a big community composting program um i hope it turns out to be big um we'll see we're going to set up a little station in front of the house and you know, have a stack of clean buckets and some instructions and uh, maybe a log book for reward type stuff, uh, whether it's eggs or the castings as the worms get productive and uh, stuff like that. And I think here a big selling point on that is uh, we got bears. So people don't want to leave food scraps in the garbage can outside. So they got to like keep it somewhere. So, hey, here's a nice bucket with a tight fitting lid. You know, you just come want get a, all the bears come get a clean on your, one. On well, no, I'll go out and you know I make sure there's nothing sitting out there overnight. Um, I'll go out every evening and pull buckets or whatever. But yeah, we'll see. I like that idea. Um, getting people to give me animal feed and compost fodder—that's awesome. 
Well, yeah. they get involved that way. I think the other thing too is, mm-hmm. is kind of networking those connections. I know most when we first got started, most of the fencing that we had um, was stuff that people gave us, um, either a friend of a friend or a friend's mom or whatever. You know, they found out, hey, we're going to raise animals, and you know, they had sixty T posts. Um, nice. You know, or or I got a bunch of chain link fencing. Um, I had to go get it, you know, it was a pain, but it saved me a bunch of money and it got me in a, in a great setup, um, for free. Um, so you can get involved just networking those things, you know, just thinking about that kind of stuff, you know, leftovers. Yeah, there's you touched a, on something. Go ahead, Jeffrey. As I said, there's a local guy who grows microgreens and, uh, we do some trading, but he, he gives me all of the spent, uh, soil that he uses. So I take nice. all the root mats. I throw them in with the chickens if there's anything left. And if not, just toss them in the compost pile. Those little things like that are really cool. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, Josiah, you touched on a, on, on a word there. Make them feel involved. I think that's a huge part in uh, making them feel connected with their food. Like if they're not a producer, i.e. not a real homesteader, um, uh, that they can at least get involved in some way, whether it, like they bring a bucket of scraps and they get like a dozen eggs. So like they, you know, they kind of can connect the dots and like feel the process instead of just like cash eggs. And it's like food eggs. Mm-hmm. No, and it's shifting gears. Here. Absolutely. I think, I think that, I mean, it's, it's probably, a, it's a smaller feeling than what I have, you know, raising a chicken, you know, raising a chick to, to a chicken to laying an egg that I, I eat the egg, you know, but they do get that feeling because they are involved to some degree. They've seen that or, you know, they'll see, you know, my wife posts a bunch of pictures of the goats, you know, so when they drink the milk, they, they see the pictures from that. And, you know, the, we gave some milk to the folks that gave us the chain link fence, you know, so they were, they were part and parcel of the reason why we were able to pluff goats so fast. And, um, so yeah, I, I don't necessarily know how it made them feel, but it, it made me feel good to kind of repay them that kindness, you know, and give them back something. So there's, yeah. you know, hopefully there was a, an exchange of, of that and they felt that. So they must have. Yeah. Um, what, so being mindful of people's time, what do you guys want to wrap up on? Uh, anything else that you want to say? Um, and and head out with i i think one more thing that i would like to mention especially on this like getting people involved note um one of the coolest community building exercises i've ever been a part of was out in our, our little rural community in hawaii when i lived there we would have a crop swap during the growing season um obviously the growing season there is a lot longer uh we, we did it nine or ten months a year out there but uh you know, even if you just do it from like the end of June to October or whatever, depending on where you are, um, and get all the gardeners in the area. You know, one guy's got a hundred pounds of cucumbers this week, and one guy's got a bunch of corn or tomatoes or whatever. And everybody would just bring what they had together and we would put it out on tables and everybody would go down like a little farmer's market and just take things. Um and you know, you didn't have to bring anything to to go home with food. It was, you know, part food pantry, part uh, social event. Um, you know, just just hanging out, really. 
and everybody leaves with a, a bigger variety than they came with. Um, just little things, making your property a, a community hub on any level, whether it's dropping off buckets of compost or hosting events like that, uh, any scale is going to help. We need, we need more resilient communities for what's coming. Absolutely. That's yeah. good. That's going to be the only thing that saves us. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was second that I think, you know, when, when we wrap up the farmer's market, there's a few of us of the vendors that kind of do like a little mini crop swap at the end, you know, like, mm-hmm. Hey, I've got some duck eggs and I'll trade that with some, with some corn or whatever. Um, the other thing I would say is just, you know, uh, you know, I know this is a pretty common concept among the people that we roll with, if you will, but just trying to localize as much of your of your own consumption as you possibly can. You know, buying from your neighbor as much as you possibly can, trading with your neighbor as much as you possibly can. I think that's really critical. Awesome. You guys uh, want to uh, say where we? where everyone can find you and uh, follow what you're doing. I mean, we're on Facebook and Twitter. That's about it. So I uh, don't have a website yet. So that <laughs> is long story farms farms speaking. Yep. If you're on the audio version. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys. Long story no, farms at uh, right. Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Uh, me, I'm just uh, at exo agriculture or Martian farmer on Twitter. Um, yeah, hit me up. We'll uh, cyber bully some government officials together. <laughs> and, and I'm uh, Inventive15 on Twitter, um, or just I Young, and that's uh, that's my only my only online presence currently. So, and I am Matt DeRocher of a Farm Hop Life. I really appreciate you guys jumping in. This was a ton of fun. We got a really good discussion tonight, and uh, it totally went down a path I was not expecting, but it was uh, it was really good conversation. Um, a lot of good ideas tonight. Love this. Love this. Um, so appreciate you guys being here. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, Matt. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right. All right.